I'm Taylor, and I'm the worship director here at Bethany West Seattle. Um, so, yeah, looking out, I, I have met most of you, um, and if I haven't, I look forward to doing that. Uh, but as we continue in our First John series, um, I'm grateful to be able to be teaching today. Uh, it's been a little while since the summer, um, and so I could feel I could feel the excitement and the anticipation, and it's good to be in this moment. So uh, I'm going to begin by um, reading our text today, which is from First John chapter four, verses one through six. So um, hear these words. Um, from First John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that, is, that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have conquered them, for the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore, therefore they say, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now let's pray. God, as we come to your word this morning, um, I ask that we experience your presence here. Holy Spirit, you are at work showing us who Jesus is, showing us how we are to um, live and love in the way that Jesus lived and loved and lives and loves. Um, as we approach this text written to people in a place that is far from where we are and a long time from where we are, uh, we're grateful for the mystery of how your word has a particular word for us today. Uh, so we invite you to show up, um, just as uh, this text says, Jesus, you have come in the flesh. You do show up. You are showing up. Uh, so we receive what you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was um, prepping for today, I was thinking about place. Uh, as I just said um, in, when I was praying, it's a mystery that Scripture was written to people who were not us, people who lived at a time that was a long time ago, and yet we open Scripture, we look for what it has for us today. There's a mystery in that, um, something that's profound. And that got me thinking about history and made me curious about even the history of this building that we're in. So this building is 72 years old. It was built in 1951, uh, and Highland Park Church of the Nazarene met here and continued meeting here. Um, they'd had a building before that. The church at this time would have been about 100 years old, um, but their previous building had burned down, and so in 1951, they began worshiping here. And then in 2006, another Nazarene church continued in this building, and that's uh, the church that we now are hosted by in this building. That's Mount Zion, pastored by pastors Ava and Gerardo Contreras. Uh, so they've been pastoring uh, their congregation for about 20 years. And then there's Bethany. Uh, Bethany started in 1916 in Ballard and then came to West Seattle in 2010. 
Uh, so thinking about the way that uh, these congregations have all been in this building at different times, but different culture, different time, different people, uh, different languages, uh, and yet there's a through line. And then our text in 1 John, uh, that's written for uh, people in the first century, so over about two millennia ago, and to people who are living in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, uh, in modern-day Turkey. And uh, in thinking about the way that Scripture continues through, there's a through line um, in all of those things, even though we're not in the same places, not the same people, not the same culture. There's something about Scripture uh, that continues for us. And it's this continuation that I see as one of the motivations for what John was writing in 1 John. Uh, He was concerned that there were false prophets, people who were saying things about Jesus that weren't true. They were professing to have the Spirit, but they weren't speaking or acting in ways that were of God. And this was confusing the early believers. This was confusing the church. They were saying, these people used to be part of our community. Now they're not in our community, and they're saying different things. How do we know what is true? And really that question, them wrestling with that question, is how we even get to receive the scriptures that we have. So it's very good that they spent time with this question about discernment, uh, that they were Uh, wrestling with what does it mean when people say that Jesus didn't come in the body or that Jesus wasn't fully God. Like, we need to wrestle with this. Uh, John was concerned that the church was being led astray. Uh, And he was, through the book of 1 John, uh, in the previous chapters, he'd been guiding them to this discernment moment. He'd been telling them how they were to live, what they were to do, and now leading them to this moment of discernment, because he doesn't want them to be led astray from the message that they've received. And that message is the good news of Jesus Christ's saving mission, of their adoption as children, of their response to love and live as Jesus loves and lives. So again, this was a crucial moment for the church, because since the church's beginning uh, in the first century, they had had direct access with people who had directly lived with Jesus. They, They had access to people like James and John and Peter, who had been with Jesus. They were able to be leaders in the church and say, church, we heard this directly from Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do. This is who Jesus is. But now the church was moving into a new generation. What was it going to be like for the church when they didn't have those people who had lived with Jesus? How is it that they were going to know what was from God uh, when people were bringing conflicting messages? So again, this, I see this as one of the main things to focus on in these verses of 1 John. John is wanting them to hold on to the truth of the message that they'd received. And uh, again, this is around discernment. John is wanting the church to be discerning of their particular cultural moment. Uh, And this is not just an an assent to facts, but rather an acknowledgement of the ongoing presence of Jesus. So again, he's not just giving them a checklist of things to do, but the way that they're able to have discernment is an acknowledgement of the ongoing presence of Jesus. And discernment in their cultural moment is rooted in the reality of Jesus coming in the flesh. Uh, You're going to hear me say that phrase many times uh, as I'm sharing this morning, and I want to invite you, if you feel comfortable, to a practice when I do this. So when I I say Jesus coming in the flesh, I invite you to uh, maybe put a hand in a hand 
uh, or put your hand on your heart to, to just have that embodied experience. If Jesus coming in the flesh means Jesus has a body, uh, Jesus has a body, Jesus coming in the flesh. So John is inviting them to a discernment rooted in the reality of Jesus coming in the flesh, not just to facts that they needed to memorize. And this is what carries the message across time, continents, culture, and language. So from first century Ephesus to the 21st century in Seattle, uh, from words written in Greek to words translated in English, uh, the message isn't tied to a particular language or culture or place or people, but it's completely tied to Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. And that this is a discernment of the cultural moment uh, rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. And where I want uh, to, to focus this morning, after sharing some context about 1 John, is that how this still matters for us today. So we're not just receiving this discernment that John said to people a long time ago, but this is discernment for us too, uh, that Jesus coming in the flesh is a foundation that still matters as much for our discernment and decisions today as it did for those who were in this space 72 years ago and as it did for those who read John's words in the first century. So I'm going to this morning unpack uh, 1 John 4, 1 through 6, which I read, um, and uh, how that brings discernment to the first century readers and then how it is a part of our discernment in the 21st. So first, uh, this idea of discernment. Uh, so uh, I didn't do this on purpose, but it lined up this way, that on January 1st, I started something new um, because I felt like I needed to have a way of sort of getting margin around my schedule and also having focus in my schedule, uh, which is interesting. I needed margin and focus at the same time because things were feeling all over the place. Uh, and I've always been a to-do list person, um, lots of lists. I almost took a picture of a handful of the lists that I have going right now to, to show you, but I'm sure that you can imagine what that's like. Um, but the lists that I have, didn't ha they wouldn't have any sort of sense of order or priority. It's just like all of the things that there needs to do, I just work through um, the things on this list. But this new... Um, practice that I'm doing. It's called a monk manual, and it's an invitation kind of through the prayer of examine, which we talked about um, in January, which is a practice of reflection and preparation and inviting God um, into those spaces for each day. So in this practice, it's been inviting me, instead of keeping a bunch of to-do lists, to instead have a few priorities that I'm thinking about for the day. So then the things that I'm doing are not just random busyness to try and be productive, but they're focused things towards uh, the things that I set as priorities for the day. And they come and I can pick themes for them. And so the theme I picked for January was the theme of discernment, because uh, there are some things that I knew I wanted to make decisions about, uh, needed to make decisions about by the end of the month. So I was like, great, the theme will be discernment. And so each day I woke up in the morning and I was like, the theme for today is discernment. And then I would go through the day. And I got to about a third or two-thirds through the month and realized I don't think it's enough to just have the theme of discernment. <laughs> I think I need to also have a practice because I think discernment isn't just something I think about. I think discernment has to be something that I do so that I can make the decision. And so then I needed to figure out what was the practice I was going to do. 
And so in thinking about the way that John is talking about discernment in 1 John, he's not just inviting them to a way of thinking. He's inviting them to a practice, uh, and, and he's inviting them to something that they will do. Uh, this is uh, the word. Uh, I actually didn't ask Prentice how to say this Greek word, <laughs> which I meant to. Um, but this is the word that's translated to test the spirits. Dokomat zit. Um, and it's up here on the screen for you to be able to see. To be carefully examined. Uh, they are to carefully examine the spirits. And this is a practice that he's going to unpack for them. Uh, the word spirits uh, is the word pneumata. And uh, that's what's translated in English as spirits. Um, when, I, when I think about spirit, this, I think that it's important to give it a little bit of context because when we think about spirit, it might have some different connotations than uh, what, what the people who are reading First John were bringing. So when I think of spirit, the first thing that comes to mind uh, is being a middle schooler at a basketball tournament and all of the fans in the stands um, from there were probably seven or eight different middle schools who were all there competing for a tournament. And at some point during the game, um, maybe during halftime, some people in the stands would stand up and they'd say, we've got spirit, yes we do, we've got spirit, how about you? And then they would point at the other people, and then those people would stand up and say, we've got spirit, yes we do, we've got spirit, how about you? And they would go back and forth, back and forth, until whichever side got tired or whichever one had the most enthusiasm. And the one that had the most enthusiasm then would say, we've got more. Hey, we've got more. And they would win. So spirit was enthusiasm. <laughs> and that's something that kept uh, the crowd into our very low scoring <laughs> middle school basketball games. Or spirit could also be, um, I think of images from movies or from, uh, from media like Casper the Friendly Ghost or the movie Spirited Away. Uh, so my cultural references for spirit are more about enthusiasm or about um, cartoon or movie references. But for the author and readers of 1 John, the understanding of pneumata or spirits is both spiritual and physical. Uh, it's something that has the origin of decision, power, and movement. Uh, so John is saying that these spirits can be from God, this power, this motivation, this movement can be from God, or it can be opposed to God. And that this is a battle that John encourages his readers that they have already overcome. So he gives them the good news right there at the beginning. Even though that they're entering into a battle of struggle, what is it that's true? What is discerning of how the spirit is moving? He tells them that the spirit that's in them is greater than the spirit that's in the world. So even though they're engaging in this struggle, uh, they have overcome. So they don't have to be afraid. The one that's in them, the Holy Spirit, is God's spirit. Uh, and in 1 John 3, 24, John had just told them that those who obey God's commands live in him and he in them, and that this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is how we know that God lives in us, John says. The confirmation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers is also a fulfillment of the words that Jesus said to his disciples in John 14. He said, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
So the Holy Spirit, this one that is in the believers, who's greater than the spirit that's in the world, is the one who is counselor, confirmer of Jesus's words, confirmer of God's presence in the life of the believer and in the community of believers. So through this spirit, John says that they can discern what is from God. And the main piece of this we read in 4 verses 2. He says, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Said in another way um, from a theologian I was reading, uh, from Rick Williamson, he says, the litmus test of orthodoxy, orthodoxy being right and accepted creeds and beliefs, is Christology. And Christology is the part of theology that focuses on the nature and work of Jesus, and specifically uh, the issue of the incarnation, which is Jesus, fully God, becoming human. So the litmus test of orthodoxy is Christology, and particularly the incarnation. In thinking about Jesus Christ uh, in the flesh, It begins with Jesus, Jesus who we celebrate at Christmas. We know things from Christmas songs about who Jesus is, born of Mary, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, born in Bethlehem, a refugee to Egypt, raised in Nazareth of the Jewish faith and culture. So Jesus, this embodied person. And then Jesus Christ, Christ being meaning that he's the Messiah, he's the saving one, the one who was promised in the words of the Old Testament. Uh, He's divine. He's God's son. He's bringing God's kingdom to earth. He rose from the dead. He's the defeater of 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 the devil and death and all that opposes God. So Jesus and Christ being put together is this earthly, embodied person who is God. And that in itself is powerful. And then in the flesh, uh, made of uh, the things that we're made of, And also the first of the new creation, meaning that when he died and rose again, he had a new body in the way that God's creation is meant to be and that we will participate in too. Uh, In thinking about uh, this uh, phrase in uh, chapter 4, verse 2 of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, I was helped a lot, um, and this became like my primary area of questions and thinking Uh, as I read uh, from theologian Judith Liu, who's a professor at Cambridge University. So she says that John's structuring of what we read in 4 verse 2 doesn't emphasize that the criteria is to acknowledge certain facts about Jesus. So it doesn't, it's not about uh, knowing certain facts about Jesus, but rather the emphasis is on the person. Uh, So we see this in every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That can make it seem like it's just a past event that's happened. Uh, We just need to acknowledge the fact that Jesus has come. But the word actually invites us to see it as something that's having a continuing impact. Uh, And so another way to be able to say that is Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh. Jesus Christ having come in the flesh has a continuing impact. And this is the through line from the first century believers to us, the foundation of their faith and the foundation of their discernment in their cultural moment, the foundation of ours here and now too. Uh, So this is, again, it's not that we come and say, do you believe that Jesus Christ uh, came? 
and that's past, and now it's over, and now we move forward. But instead, it's, do you believe that Jesus Christ came and is here now, like a continuing movement, a continuing activity, and that that has a continuing impact for us? Uh, the next place that John goes is discerning what is not from God, uh, which fits in the way that John has structured a lot of the things that he's talked about. He talks about darkness and light, um, uh, uh, and love and not love. So what is from God, what is not from God? And in 4 verse 3, he says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. Uh, I want to pause on the word Antichrist because that, that is a hang-up for me, and it was a hang-up for me when I first read it because I uh, grew up reading the Left Behind series when I was a kid. Um, and in the, in the Left Behind series, which sort of works the things from Revelation into like a literal present-day sort of uh, happenings, um, the Antichrist was a particular person, and his name, I didn't even have to look it up, it's still in my mind of what his name is, um, but Nicole Carpathia, he is the Antichrist, capital A, and all the signs pointed to him, and he was smooth and convincing and scary to my middle school self. Um, but in this passage, when John is talking about, when he uses that word that's interpreted antichrist, it's not centered on one person, uh, but rather it means one who opposes Christ, or literally being antichrist, being opposed to God, and so, or someone who puts themselves in the place of or enemy or opponent to the Messiah. So John's concern here isn't about some future thing that's going to happen as told in the Left Behind series, but rather his concern is how the false teachers were opposing who God was right in that moment, and that they were opposing God by dismissing the real humanity of Christ. So for John to oppose God in this way was to align with opposition to Christ in the world. Uh, and this was undermining the faith of the churches and John's sphere of influence, which, again, is what he's focusing on. He's wanting to say there's people who are saying untrue things about who Jesus is, and that message is opposed to God's work in the world, and we need to be discerning so that we can know what God's work in the world is so that we can continue this message that we've received. And again, I'm so thankful that John had these specific words to say to this community because it's because of their discernment that we even receive the message that we've received, and then we also have the same responsibility to be discerning as uh, the message continues into uh, next generation's. So uh, for John, he talks about this idea of doctrine, so right teaching, teaching that is um, aligned with who Jesus is as having come in the flesh. And then he also connects it to ethics. Um, and as I was thinking about uh, how John combines both of these things, um, I, a little uh, memory came to mind, uh, which happened actually just last week. So I'm coaching at, um, <laughs> coach, I'm, co I'm using the word coaching loosely, but I wrote coach on the back of my shirt, so that makes it more official. Uh, but I'm coaching at an after-school, hour-long, uh, second to fifth grade girls basketball after-school activity program. <laughs> um, so I'm coaching girls basketball, and it's been really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um, 
And uh, last Thursday, I was doing the ball handling station, which is where we're not doing anything with the basket. We're not actually making the ball touch the ground at all. Uh, we're doing things to like work on our agility and holding the ball, like going around our legs or our heads and our waists and stuff. And it was, <laughs> it was so sweet. So I was doing this with a group of fourth graders. And like while everybody was bent over and doing their thing, one of the girls stood up and she put her ball on her hip and she was like, why does this matter for real life? <laughs> and I was like, that is a great question. <laughs> why does doing these things even matter for real life? Which in, in her mind, she was like, this isn't fun because I'm not getting to bounce the ball. I'm not getting to shoot at the basket. Like, how does this even matter for real life? And so we talked about it as a group, like, how do, does this even matter? Like, is this helping us with anything, or is it not? Um, and when I think about uh, what John is doing here, I feel like we can bring that question uh, to him as well. John, these things that you're telling us about discernment and about doctrine, like, how does this even matter for real, like, does this even matter for real life? And John's answer is yes, uh, because the things that he's presenting are not for belief's sake only, but they're because the things that we believe form us in a particular way uh, and lead us to, as a community and individuals, to live into those things that we believe. And the, the key to what John is saying in what the beliefs are that he's leading them to is that they're centered in Jesus Christ having come in the flesh. Uh, so he's not just leading them to ideas, but he's leading them to a person. And yes, it matters for real life because Jesus having come in the flesh impacts us today. It impacts the decisions that we make. It impacts the way that we understand what is of God and what is not of God. And I also was happy, I was excited to say uh, in the basketball example that one of the girls was like, yes, I think this does apply to real life because it's helping me know where the ball is without having to look at it. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's the answer. So doing the exercises does matter. But it's also important to ask those questions because if we're just doing it blindly without really saying, does this matter? Do I think that this matters? We can kind of just go through the motions and not then uh, be connected to what we're doing. So something that I think is powerful here before um, we go into uh, our final section of what does this mean for us today, I think that it's powerful uh, to point out some of the things that John does not say is the answer to discernment. So I'll, I'll first say, John says discernment is based in who Jesus is embodied and the power of his saving work now. So that's what discernment of what God's work is based on. What John does not say is that discernment isn't based, or discernment is not based on uh, allegiance to a certain people. It's not based on allegiance to a certain culture or to a certain political party. Uh, it's based on the person of Jesus. So that means that different cultures, different languages, different times, different people, different ideologies, that there's ways for all of those things to be able to embody Jesus's work through them. And there's ways that uh, work that opposes God can happen there. So it's not because of the systems that we create that God's work is done. It's because of the way that we align the things that we create to who Jesus is through what we do. Um, and I think that that's a really important piece uh, that I see from John here. 
Uh, so again, John talks about the importance of doctrine and uh, ethics because the things that we believe lead to the things that we do. And I want to um, move us into uh, reading the part of what he says to do together because in John, uh, the main thing that he calls, the main action he calls to is that of love. And so right after um, this section about discernment, he moves into some verses that I'd like us to read um, together actually about love. So I'm going to read the whole part, but there will be parts that are in bold, and I invite you to read the parts that are in bold as we read together. And this is from uh, the message. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God, because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. I'm going to read that last part again. If we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. Those are good words. So where I want to um, close this morning is um, returning to a point that hopefully, as you hear it, um, it'll ring familiar, and I hope that it'll continue ringing with you as you leave, um, that Jesus Christ coming in the flesh has a continual impact for our discernment today. Uh, when I think about this, the, the phrase that came to mind was, Jesus was here, <laughs> like sort of a tag on a wall or something, like Jesus was here. Uh, and that made me think of summer camp, because probably at every youth summer camp, if you were to go into any general sort of uh, cabin, if you were to go into the bottom bunk and lie down and look up at the, the bunk below or above it, you would probably see uh, written in Sharpie or some sort or carved in, so-and-so was here, like Kirk was here. <laughs> um, and I wonder actually if anybody has ever left your mark in that way, like I was here, yes. And uh, then people who uh, go, they'll read it, and they'll be like, oh, like, Taylor was here. Great. Uh, but me having written my name, hypothetically, <laughs> on, on um, property that wasn't mine to say that I was there, uh, it doesn't actually mean that I have an impact there still. Um, there might be the memory of me having been there. Uh, you might... Um, 
be able to assume that I'd eaten in the dining hall or done the activities or um, done uh, whatever things that, that I was doing with friends. Um, so my presence is known because I wrote it there, but I'm not having an impact still on people who are going to the camp. Uh, and I want to say that Jesus coming in the flesh is not like that. Jesus didn't write his name on, carve his name into a tree and say that he was there, and so we can sort of like go as an archaeologically interesting thing to see. Uh, it's more like Jesus has written that on our hearts uh, to say, like, I was here, and I am here, and I am continuing to do my work uh, because there's a continual impact because of Jesus' presence. Uh, we know that Jesus was here because of the witness of John uh, in Scripture, uh, we, and we're able to know about this because it was written and held for us and continued to us, uh, and that the revelation of the Holy Spirit continues to bring um, his presence in the flesh and his completion of his saving mission has a continuing impact. And uh, that idea of having his name written on our hearts, that actually feels really significant as well. So like each of us are carrying Jesus's presence with us as we go and are doing the different things that we're doing. So Jesus's coming in the flesh has a continuing impact because we are here and we are sent. Like however many of us there are, it multiplies the impact by that many people plus the supernatural sort of exponential impact there is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So it really, like, this is powerful stuff. Uh, We're not just talking, uh, another idea that I had is, like, we don't come to church to have a memorial service to remember somebody from a long time ago. Like, we're not coming here to remember Jesus in that way. Uh, We're also not just coming here as a pep rally to sort of chant Jesus' name as a way to sort of work ourselves up. But we're coming here because we believe that Jesus really is present and active and that the Holy Spirit really is doing something. And we're coming here to gather and to be reminded of Jesus' presence with us together uh, so that as we go from here, we remember that Jesus' coming in the flesh has a continual impact, even in the decisions that we make as soon as we step out of the door uh, and the things that, that, are, that are coming in our days and on the large scale, the larger things that we're a part of. Um, the, the questions that I want to leave us with, and this, this, is, this is more incomplete than I wanted it to be, but I think, that, I think that that's okay, because just as John didn't give a specific formula other than Jesus coming is the way that, or knowing what Jesus has come in the flesh is the way that we can discern what God's impact or what God's uh, work is, um, I think that's true for us, too. So I think that I, I don't want to try to control that, and so this is more open. So I want to leave us with a couple questions. Um, the first question is, how, how do you and how do we as a community, how do we center the impact of Jesus coming in the flesh in our own discernment, uh, in the things that we decide to align ourselves with, uh, the things that we allow to influence us, um, the things that we're doing work uh, to to create new things for, um, how do we center uh, Jesus coming in the flesh in our own discernment? 
And what is the foundation of our decisions as a community and as individuals? Um, I know for myself, without thinking about it too deeply, um, decisions are often, for me, based on what will uh, sort of keep us stasis, like what will make me feel good or what will cause the least disruption. Um, and I don't think, though, that that foundation is where God wants to leave me. I think God wants to invite me to a deeper, something new in the way that I make decisions, uh, thinking about how things that Jesus did might have been seen as disruptive, but they were communicating something that was true about who God is. So I know that um, static isn't a requirement that God has as a discernment for what I do. And then also, when I think about Jesus coming in the flesh um, for discernment and decisions, to me that also means that bodies matter, um, that it's not just about our minds or our spirits. Even though I've just been up here for however long talking words from my mind into your ears, um, I know that because Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that body matters, embodiment matters. So you all can hold me accountable, like these words that I've said, am I living that way? Like that really is a sense of discernment. Are the things that I'm saying actually being worked out in the way that I live, uh, the way that I um, am living in my body? I think also that Jesus coming in the flesh means that creation matters. Uh, Jesus, as God, put on skin and bones, not as a costume, but like as a person. And that honors God's creation. And I think that means that what we do in creation matters. And I think also Jesus coming means that it matters for the way that we are together with other people, that we're sent out on behalf of, but also in community with, like in the partnership uh, story, Prentice, that you shared of where um, to learn and to serve together at the same time. So the way that we teach and serve and do activism, do accountability, the way that we structure community, I think that uh, there's an intentionality that we can, our, I think it's our responsibility to be intentional to bring um, the discernment that John is talking about here to the way that we do all of those things. I want to close with um, something that Jesus said in John 14, verses 6 to 7. Um, Jesus said there, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In this, Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life, which uh, we sung uh, earlier, and we'll get a chance to sing that again. Uh, so in the way of questions, the closing question I have is, what poses as being the way, the truth, and the life that does not acknowledge Jesus coming in the flesh? That's where our discernment is needed, because it's Jesus' life and saving mission uh, that is the way that we know what is from God and what is not from God. Uh, join me in prayer. I'm going to invite the worship friends to come back up. So I'm going to pray. God, um, thank you for the faithfulness of um, your people uh, 
who long ago received your words, who lived with you, Jesus, who uh, even before that were waiting for you, um, but for, your, for their faithfulness to the message that you gave them, uh, for the words of John, words of discernment, to be able to stay with um, the truth of who you are, Jesus, and that being the way of knowing uh, what is God's way. We receive all of these things as a gift, um, not something that we created of ourselves, but we have inherited um, this message, and we're grateful. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are still active um, in our hearts, in our, uh, in our midst. So as we've received this message, would you um, be working in us as we discern what it is that's your way? We want to be part of your work, God. Help us to um, be able to see what is not of you uh, and to be able to boldly and courageously confess when, we're, when we realize that we've missed your way, uh, knowing that you receive us. And also to boldly speak out when we see, um, when we see that there's accountability or, or a call back to you needed in our, uh, in our family, in our church, in our community. Jesus, you said that you are the way and the truth and the life. Help us to uh, bind ourselves to your way. Uh, in the things that we've um, tried to um, connect with, to, to have the way and the truth and the life that are not of you. We repent of that, and we want to receive your way, your good way, and we'll know it by the good fruit that you bring from it. God, thank you that you take the words that I've said and that you are going to use them in the way that you have. Um, thank you for preparing the soil of our hearts to receive what you had for us today. Um, we'll continue to mull on it and to trust you as the gardener to tend it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.